You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we are working our way through a series of messages entitled, Safety Not Guaranteed. And one of the things that we've been reminding ourselves of is that just because you are a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that everything in your life is always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that safety in our lives is always going to be guaranteed. You and I experience pain. We experience suffering. We have the loss of a loved one. We get a disease that is unknown and unexpected. We move to a new area. There are unknowns. We feel like we have the financial rug pulled out from underneath us. We all have those experiences where sometimes in the midst of it, we cry out and we wonder, God, where are you? And yet what we pray is that though we may go through those seasons in life, that we would still understand that we are safe in the very heart of God, that God loves us and cares about us. And to help us with this, we've been using together the story of Ruth. And if you remember all the way back in Ruth chapter 1, not only does Naomi lose her husband, but Ruth loses her husband as well. And we see the way in which not only Naomi seems as though she feels like she cannot see God. And so in the midst of that, what does she do? She cries out. She's not afraid to share the fact that she is bitter in those moments, but what we saw was she still loved God and prayed for others as well as sought to bless them. Then last week, we looked about at how God still had a plan, how God's hand was still at work, how in the midst of their suffering, we saw these aha moments, right? These it just so happened moments that oftentimes in life, we may think of them as coincidences, but what we remember is that there are no coincidences with God, that these are all what we might call God sightings, where God is on the move. You know, one of the things that sometimes we feel like in life is that we only get one small piece of the puzzle. And sometimes you and I don't know what that entire completed picture is supposed to look like because we don't have the box top. And you and I know what it's like to put together a puzzle. Maybe, have you ever tried to put one together without a box top? It seems like it's almost impossible. I can remember during COVID, like Nicole and I put together like three or four, couple thousand piece puzzles, and it felt like just about all three or four were missing pieces, right? So, like, have you ever had that where, you know, you're thinking, I've, I've got these puzzle pieces and I don't know, or there's pieces that are missing. I want you to direct your attention to the screen. You're going to see a video start to play, so you can go ahead and start to play it. When you know what this is, give it a shout out. What do you think that they're putting together here? Yes, it is a globe. You can let it keep playing, Gabe, that's fine. But yeah, see, you and I don't get all the pieces of the puzzle, right? You and I may sometimes feel like all we have is one little part, and we may feel as though there are pieces that are missing. And you and I also recognize that we don't have the box top. So sometimes we're trying to navigate 
through this life and we don't always know what's happening around us. But here's what we trust in, that it is God who holds all of the pieces of our lives together. We heard about that this morning, right, as we were singing that together. All the pieces of my life, God, I can trust you. And what we trust in is the fact that God ultimately is the one who has the box top. So when you and I are navigating this life and there are things that just don't seem to make sense to us, we can trust that God is in control. And what we can trust in is that in God, all of these pieces begin to fit together. Now, the reality is we may not always get to see what that looks like in this life. But what we trust is that either in this life or at least in eternity, we will see the way in which God was working those things for our good and his glory. So this morning, we're going to be picking up together in Ruth chapter 3. Now, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed so you understand kind of where we are in this story. It is most likely that at this point in the story, uh, Ruth has been gleaning in the fields of Boaz for about four months. And the reason for that is because within the text, you can see that they have both had the wheat harvest as well as the barley harvest. So both of those harvests, one happens uh, March through May, the other happens May through July. And so you can tell from this that they're in the barley harvest that Ruth has been there now for about four months. So we're going to pick this up if you've brought your Bibles. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. But let's look at the first four verses. It says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on your perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now you read that, and you probably wonder, what? in the world is going on here, right? In some regards, it may seem like Naomi is playing the role of Yentiv, right? In like Fiddler on the Roof, right? Like matchmaker, matchmaker, you know, make me a match, right? So you think, what, what's happening here? Or you might be tempted to think, is like Ruth just a gold digger, right? You know, she's like, I'm going to get all dressed up. I'm going to go and get me a man tonight, right? Like, what in the world is happening here? Now, let's unpack this a little bit. And you're going to see the first thing, if you're going to follow along and take notes, is this, that love seeks provision. Love seeks provision. Uh, go back to the very beginning. Remember when Naomi thought that God's hand was against her. And yet, in the middle of her pain, uh, in the middle of her suffering, God's light 
was shining through into the darkness. But in the midst of all of that, we see the way in which even then, Naomi was seeking to provide for Ruth out of love. Because remember what she said. She said, don't come back with me because there's nothing for you where I go. Go back to your own people. Go back to your own land. It would have been better for her to come with, but she was still seeking to love Ruth well and to provide for her. By the way, last week we saw the way in which Ruth loved Naomi and the way in which she was seeking to provide for them by gleaning in the fields from sunup until sundown, not taking a break except for a few minutes to grab a drink of water. We also saw the way in which love sought to provide for Ruth. Boaz said, no, stay in my fields, glean with me. And of course, we see the way in which Ruth goes back with more grain than she probably should have. And so overall in this story, we see the way in which love provides. And now in this story, we're going to see the way in which God is providing a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. And so let's unpack what this is for just a moment so that we understand. In today's day and age, Eminent domain aside, when land is sold, it is expected that it is going to stay with whoever buys and purchases the land. So when you purchase the land or purchase a house from somebody else, right, you you get the deed, you get the title, that property is yours. And that property is yours until you decide to sell it or you decide to give it to your heirs, and they can decide what it is that they're going to do with it. Now, here's the thing. In the Bible, there is a very similar thing that's happening, but it's different. And the reason that it's different, in order to understand this, you have to go back to the book of Joshua. And in Joshua, God divides the land amongst the people of Israel. And so the pe- that land is divvied up amongst the people and with the intent that that land is going to stay with the families. And the reason that we see that is sometimes in the Old Testament, people would sell their land in order to pay off a debt, or they would move to a new area. So they would sell their land and be able to afford to purchase it back a little bit later. But whenever that person came back and said, I can pay off my debt, I would like to purchase the land back, they were allowed to do so. You were not allowed to say no. So this was a way in which they could provide for their community. Imagine if that happened today. Right, let's say you sold your house to somebody else. They were the original owners of it. And a few years later, they came back to you and they say, I, I want to buy my house back. And you had to say yes, right? I mean, we, we don't often think that way. But the reason that they did this was to make sure that the community was provided for. No one person could acquire all of the land and then take advantage of the people that were around them. And so the way in which they would do this is to ensure, hey, no, I will hold on to it. People viewed that more as a lease 
than as just purchase. So for that time being, they might say, hey, I can earn a little bit of money right now on this land, and then eventually uh, a relative might come along and purchase it back, which, by the way, you also see in the years of Jubilee, where they would forgive debts, where the land would be returned to the original owners. Uh, These are ways in which the community cared for one another. By the way, it's also one of the reasons sometimes you read through the Bible, you see a lot of genealogies, and you're like, I I just don't understand this. This goes to show you why genealogies were important. So what happened if a man died and he had left no heirs? Well, what would happen is the next closest relative could purchase the land on behalf of the family. And so this is what's happening here. Ruth is going to Boaz and saying, would you be willing to purchase this land back on our behalf? Remember what we said in week one, most likely in order for them to move to Moab, they sold their land. They gave it away, leased it away, knowing that maybe at a later date they'd be able to purchase it back. Now, again, you have Ruth going to Boaz, But then we start to wonder, does this really give the impression that Ruth is just seeking to take advantage, right? She's just seeking to go and and to get her man. Because it it feels that way because she gets all gussied up, she puts on perfume, and then we learn that she goes and she lies down at the feet of Boaz. And the reason why it seems odd to us is this. Oftentimes, in the Old Testament, the woman would have to go and ask the man to be redeemed. Now, it shouldn't have been that way. Uh, This was something that God had set up to provide for the poor and the widows in the community. But oftentimes, men did not fulfill their responsibility to do so. Now, why did they do that? Well, on the one hand, if they redeemed this woman— and this woman has children, so he's going to pay, you know, this, allow, pay her to marry her, to give this land back. But then after he dies, the land is going to revert back to the, the woman's children, back to the original husband. And so he might say to himself, well, why do I want to risk, you know, buying this land back when I'm going to lose it anyway down the road? I may make a little money for now, but it's not going to be for a long time. The other reason is this. If he marries a woman who doesn't have any property at all, he might be saying to himself, well, there's really nothing in this for me. So a lot of times, men might not fulfill their responsibility. So this is one of the reasons why you see Ruth approaching Boaz and asking him to redeem her. Now, the thing that we see is Boaz actually wants to do it. He wants to redeem her, but Boaz is doing the right thing because he knows that there's somebody that's a little bit closer, we're going to read about this in a bit, who has the right, has the responsibility of redeeming her. Another reason why Boaz may not necessarily do this is because we know Boaz is about a whole generation older than Ruth is. You're going to read about that in just a moment as well, uh, how he's saying, I I am older than you are. So maybe in that culture, it might not have been seen quite as kosher. Uh, It might have been seen a little bit like he's trying to rob the cradle, so to speak. Uh, But what we see is eventually the way in which his desire to love well, we see love is going to provide. And we see this, by the way, all throughout Scripture the way in which God provides 
in love. Uh, even when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, what does God do? He provides them with clothing. You know, when the people are wandering in the desert, what does he do? He provides for them in love, right? A cloud and fire to lead them. We see the way in which God provides them with food and with water. We see the way in which God provides prophets by which to lead them. And of course, we understand today that God in his love provides for us through Jesus Christ. God redeems us back to him through Christ. Beloved people, do you ever stop to think about why God does this? Why God blesses us? It is because of his incredible love for us. One of the things that I am struck with as I read this passage is notice, Naomi says to Ruth, go and put on your best. Clothe yourself with the very best. Put on perfume, put on fine clothing. And what I was reminded of this week is Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. But I thought about it. Have you ever thought about it this way? You know, this certainly is a passage talking about how believers are supposed to relate to one another. These, these are the things that we are supposed to do as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But where do all of these virtues come from? They come from God. Who is the one who clothed himself in all of these things first? It's God, right? God, loving and patient and kind, Right? All of these things we see in God himself. And then we see the way in which he showed us the full extent of his love by Jesus, by God literally embodying himself in humanity. The incarnation, this shows us how much God loves us and how he seeks to provide for us. And this is what's beautiful about this because notice, Naomi, in love, is seeking to provide for Ruth. Ruth is seeking to provide for Naomi. Boaz is seeking to provide for them both. And over it all is God, who is seeking to provide for them exactly what they need. This is what love does. Love provides. But I want you to see a second thing. Love secures. Love also secures. You know, oftentimes you and I live at the intersection of the pains of the past and the pains of the present and the hope for the future. So you and I look at the past, we see the things that have happened and we feel that pain, but we also have hope for the future. And sometimes in those moments we're like, God, I just don't get it. Like, God, where are you in the midst of my pain? Where are you when things just don't feel secure? And Ruth and Naomi had many of those same feelings. And so you see what happens. Notice what it says in verses 5 to 9. So uh, Naomi tells Ruth what to do. And then it says, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, this is where this story really starts to heat up. Uh, Naomi has told Ruth what to do. And so Ruth is following these instructions But you read through that, and let's be honest, there's a lot of things here that don't make any sense. What in the world is going on? So let's just talk about this. First, the threshing floor. What's happening here? Well, they're at the season of the harvest. And so the harvest has been brought in. And so they are now separating like the wheat from the chaff or the grain from the stalks. And you have to understand, this is a time when robbers would often come in, right? All the hard work has been done. Well, now let's come in and let's steal what's been made. And so oftentimes the men would sleep on the threshing room floor in order to protect the grain that has been brought in. However, it is also a season of thanksgiving. And so they are eating and they are drinking and they are feasting together to celebrate God's goodness and his faithfulness to them that they are able to have uh, another harvest season. And so it's at this point that Ruth enters the scene. Now, don't begin to think that, um, you know, Boaz has just had a few too many to drink and that Ruth is going to come in right now and she's going to take advantage of the situation. It's not, that's not what it's talking about here. They've, they've had a time of eating. They've had a time of celebration. And they're there and they're watching over the grain. Now, there's another part of this story that you need to understand. And it's probably difficult for us to kind of wrap our minds around in, in the modern English. But um, this would have been one of those moments where the people who were listening to this would have said, oh no, like what's going to happen? See, you and I have Bibles, like if you want, you can have one on every, you know, shelf in your house. You you have it on your phone. Um, Remember, in those days, all of these things were shared orally. There might only be a few manuscripts or scrolls in the temple. It may have only been, you know, the rabbi who was learned enough to read them. It wasn't like everybody had copies of these things around. And so you can imagine people sitting around a fire and these stories are being shared. And so They're hearing this story and they're wondering, is this the moment where Boaz's integrity is going to be called into question, right? Where Ruth's integrity is going to be called into question. Because here's what happens, right? We're told she gets all dressed up, she puts on her perfume, she sees where Boaz lays down and she goes over and then she uncovers his feet. And we wonder to ourselves, what in the world is she doing? Now, The reason why people in that day 
would have been saying, oh no, is because in the Hebrew, the word feet is also a euphemism for another part of the male body. So they would have been hearing this and thinking, wait, what did she just do? She came in and uncovered his feet? What in the world is happening here? So you can imagine people like, oh my goodness, you know, are there, is their integrity going to be called into question? And you can imagine, Boaz is laying there, he's asleep, and his feet are cold, right? And so he wakes up, and he's startled. But notice, he says, who are you? I can remember when, uh, when Adriana was little, and she was first learning to get out of her crib, and we didn't know it. And I was asleep, and I can remember two or three mornings in a row where she, I wake up, and her face is like an inch from mine. And she's breathing on my face. And when I woke up, I was like, ah! You know, I screamed. She's lucky I didn't punch her in the face or something, right? Notice, Boaz apparently seems to keep his cool. There's a strange person at his feet. It's a woman. And he simply says, who are you, right? And, of course, what does she say? She says, you, I am Ruth. You are my guardian redeemer. And then she says this, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now, again, you have to go back to the original language. And this is what is so beautiful about this passage. If you remember last week, when Boaz was talking with Ruth, Boaz said to her, May you find protection under the cover, under the shelter of God's wings. And the Hebrew word for cover over your wings is the same as spread the corner of your garment over me. And so what you see here is Boaz is saying to her, may you experience God's provision for you under the, as you draw under the cover of his wings. And she is saying, I have made your God my God. I have made your people my people. And now she is saying, I see the way in which God is going to provide for me under the shelter of your wings. And how ultimately it is God who is over all of these things. And so she's able to say, Boaz, would you be the one who redeems me? Would you be the one who protects me? Would you be the one who gives me refuge? I want you to see what an incredible picture of God's security that we see here in this passage. The way in which God provides. When we come under the shelter of God's wings, you and I can find hope. We can find promise and we can find security. Now, the reality is we read this passage, and it might seem like, I don't know, it feels to me like Ruth and Naomi kind of took advantage of the plan here. It seems to me like they, they took a lot of things into their own control. And we might be tempted in our own lives to think, you know what, God, I don't seem to see you moving here. And so we might have a tendency to try to take things into our own control. But I want you to understand that's not what's happening here. What is happening is 
Ruth and Naomi saw God's hand and God's plan, and they were willing to step into it. You know, so often in life, when things don't seem to go the way that we want, we have a tendency to try to take control. And we have a tendency to try to say, you know what, God, I don't see you working, and so I'm just going to do things on my own. Instead of, instead of risking following after God, we have a tendency to risk following after our own plans. But what we see in this story is the willingness of love to risk. Right? You, you see the way in which, you know, Naomi puts Ruth at risk to have to go to Boaz and ask to be redeemed. There is the possibility that she could be rejected. Boaz puts himself at risk, not only because her spending the night there could be seen as scandalous, but because, as we're going to learn, he is going to risk losing her by going to someone who's a little bit closer. And so we see over and over again in this story that there is a riskiness that is involved, and yet there is a security that comes when we fall under the shelter and the shadow of God's wings. We can be safe and secure in the arms of a God who loves us no matter what is happening around us. How many of us have ever had that happen? God, where are you? God, are you going to provide? God, are you going to make things secure for me? Notice what Romans 8 says in verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you need to know this morning is that God loves you. That you are safe and secure because of his love in Jesus Christ. The world that we live in is filled with so much pain and so much hurt and so much strife. But you are secure in the arms of a God who loves you. And that leads to the third thing, how love seeks purity. Love seeks purity. You know, we come to the moment of the story where there is a question in this moment. Is Boaz really going to redeem Ruth? And yet, he still loves her, but is willing to risk losing her because he wants to do the right thing. He is seeking a love that is pure. We've heard that these are men and women of excellent character. Uh, this story continues to tell us how these are upstanding citizens. And now, some of that could potentially be called into question. I want you to hear this. Verses 10 to 18. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All of the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. 
But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me a shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came in to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You know, the incredible thing about this story is that everything that we have read is really just covered in purity. I, I want you to picture this. If this were a modern-day movie and a retelling of this story, how do you think this would have gone? right? She takes a bath. She puts on her finest clothes. She puts on perfume. She goes and lays down at Boaz's feet and uncovers them. And then she says, would you marry me? You know that today the next scene would be a love scene with her grasping grain, right? You can just see how this would play out. But that's not what happens here. Instead, what we see is this idea that their relationship was going to be one that was bound in purity and of doing the right thing. And so Ruth comes under the cover of darkness and she leaves under the cover of darkness. And so we see the way in which she is seeking purity. Boaz wants her to have purity and then he wants to do the right thing by going to seek the person who has the first right of redeeming her. Now, let's be honest they could have consummated it right there. And then Boaz would have had to say, I have to marry you now. He obviously loves her, but notice he's seeking to do the right thing, even if it means the possibility of losing her. And you know, I think what you see here is, we were talking about this before, when you and I clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, and gentleness, and patience, and over all of these things, we put on love. And this is, these are all the things that Boaz is, is putting on display. Uh, those six scoops, by the way, could measure up to 60 pounds. So 60 pounds of grain she's going back with. And you remember at the beginning of, at the end of chapter one, how Naomi said, I went away full, but I came back empty. Now, God is saying to her, oh, but you are so much more full than you ever realized. And we're going to see how this plays out next week. Now, the question is, what do we learn from this? You know, what can we take away from this story? And especially when we think about love and, and impurity. Well, I want you to think of it this way. God always does what is right by us. God's motives are always pure. And God clothes himself and compassion, and kindness, and gentleness, and patience. And over all of these things, God puts on love. 
So when God looks at us, when God looks at you, God's motives are always done out of love for you because God desires what is best for us. But by the way, this love for purity, not only does God give his best for us, but he also asks the best from us. He says, be holy as I am holy. And this pursuit of holiness is all about following after Jesus and his will for our lives. And as you and I seek to follow after Jesus, what we will discover is that all the things of our lives, God is working to bring together for our good and for his glory. Why? Because God's motives for us are always pure. He always desires to do what is right. And what we need to understand is this, the people of the world who don't have a relationship with God, who are not following after Jesus Christ, will never fully be able to understand this. They'll never be able to know how all the pieces of their lives fit together. How God ultimately is the one who has the box top, who is working all of these things out. But for those of us who are in Christ, what we understand is that he is indeed at work. That God seeks our provision. That he seeks our security. And that God does all things in purity. So what should our response be? Our response should be to wear the same clothing that Jesus Christ wore. To seek to love God and to love others. We should seek the best for one another. We should seek the best for our community. We should seek to bless and to be a refuge and a shelter to the broken a refuge for the homeless, and to be a church community that gives generously. That is why I think that what took place here this weekend is such an incredible picture of the way in which we can do that in small ways through events like Nights to Shine, where we can say, to the least of these, we want to clothe ourselves with the love of Jesus Christ to show you that we love him and that we love others. That is the mark of obedience, a heart of obedience. The mantra of the church for those who believe is faith, hope, and love. I pray that as you and I lean into these things, that it will lead us to the risk and to the provision of love. Let's pray. Lord, certainly what we recognize is that there are times in our lives where things don't always seem to make sense. When we see a plan at work and we don't always understand that plan. And sometimes, God, we, we seek to go it on our own. We seek to take things into our own hands. And Lord, maybe we experience success for a season but oftentimes what we find is that we make a mess of things because we step outside of your plan. And then, Lord, we don't seek to do things that are pure or that are secure or that are right. And so, Lord, help us 
to place a greater level of trust in you, to trust in your heart, to trust in your provision, and to see the way in which you clothe yourselves with all of these things that we have talked about today and how, Lord, you desire us to clothe ourselves with those same things as we seek to follow after Christ. Help us to do that, even when it is hard. And Lord, in all of these things, would you receive the honor and the glory. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Friends, as we close, I invite us to stand as we sing together, ultimately saying, Lord, my desire is to trust and to obey. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.